Would you give Neil a welcome? Oh, thank you. We need to thank Matt too also, stepping in for Phil as well. First time they've missed for 15 years, Phil and Jenny. That's amazing. Do we have anybody with German heritage? Do you want to put up your hand? Oh, we do have some. Make sure you say hello to Simon, right? So just to let you know, so I met Simon at Cape and Ray Bible School about a month ago and I asked him, he's volunteering for three months, so at his own cost, came to Australia to volunteer to the Bible School and I asked him what was he going to see in Australia for the three months and he said, barrel. That was it. <laughs> barrel in winter for three months, right? I've lived there, I know what it's like. I said to him, I said, if you make your way to Brisbane, I said, you can come and stay in my spare room. I said, I'll take you around. I can guarantee you sunshine, beautiful beaches. That's what we're used to for winter in Brisbane, isn't it? And look what we've had the last few days. But it hasn't mucked us around too much. We have seen a few things. I asked him, is there anything special that you want to see? And he said, I'd like to see the whales. So we're going out tomorrow, okay? Tomorrow's the best day. We'll go out tomorrow. Hopefully a little bit better than the last time I went, which was about three weeks ago. If you've been while watching, you'd know this. So I was out the front of the boat and I had my camera all the ready and the lady standing next to me and she looks at my camera and she says, oh, are you a professional? And I said, no, 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 this is just a little hobby of mine. And she said, uh, well, she said, I'm in a camera club. And she said, all oh, my photos are turning out horribly. And so I said, oh, okay, well, what settings do you have? And so she told me the settings which are all the opposite, right, of what you should have. She said, I have F22. I said, no, that needs to be F5.6. ISO 100, I said, no, it needs to be about 600 or 800. And as I'm telling her this, you know what's going to happen. The whale breached right in front of the boat and I missed it. I know, I know, I know, Pete, I know. And then she said, oh, she said, we missed it. She said, I do hope you get a good shot after helping me. Well, I didn't. But anyway, that's all right. We have another chance tomorrow. So if you do remember tomorrow morning, right, you might just want to think, I've decided I'm going to behave like Manuel from Faulty Towers. And if anybody asks, oh, you're a professional. Can you help me with my camera settings? I know nothing. I know nothing. I know nothing. Right? You're all on your own. Isaiah chapter 7, as we're looking at some selected chapters out of this book, and uh, of course have to come to Isaiah chapter 7, well known. Not all that chapter, but just uh, uh, the first half of it. And I hope you're into history, right? Because this morning's more historical. There's, it just is of great interest for me to discover what was all the background for that key verse that we read every Christmas time. So Isaiah chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and king Pekah, son of Remaliah of Israel, went up to attack Jerusalem but could not mount an attack against it. When the house of David heard that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Sheer Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, 
Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smouldering stumps of firebrands because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has plotted evil against you saying, let us go up against Judah and cut off Jerusalem and conquer it for ourselves and make the son of Tobiel king in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered, no longer a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's the verse we know so well, isn't it? Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings are in dread will be deserted. You know, like me, like the people come to faith in Christ through many and different varied ways. Some people give their lives to Jesus at the age of four or five. I've heard testimonies of students at Cape and Ray who said the age of four or five, they prayed with their mother by the bed there and they gave their life to Jesus. The majority, it's said, the majority of us give our lives to Christ in our teenage years. So that's why Scripture Union Camps, Teen Street, which of course is on this week, all those are such important events so that Christ might speak into their lives. But also we know, and there may be, there may be some here who give their lives, in their, uh, lives to Christ in their latter years, in their 70s, 80s, maybe even 90 years of age, they surrender their life to Jesus. But not only is there an age difference, there is also, what I say, like there's a difference in the way a person gives their life to Christ. For some of us, it's just an easy transition. Maybe we've grown up in a Christian home, in a Christian family. It's just the natural, it's the right thing to do. And we prayed that prayer in some circumstance and we gave our life to Jesus. But for others, it takes a crisis event. It takes something that really challenges them as a person. of Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? And what does the future hold? And I've heard testimony, I'm sure you have as well, testimonies as I've heard, of somebody who's come to a point because of some crisis in their life and they've had to make that decision. But not only do we find people who give their lives to Christ through a crisis event, we also discover that there are people who are unbelievers who experience crisis events when we as Christians would be saying, right, give your life to Jesus. He will be with you in this. But they refuse to do so. And that is the background of this chapter, chapter 7. 
in fact, a most extraordinary chapter. I've never really studied Isaiah chapter 7 before, and as I said, the key thing was for me in picking this chapter was to discover the background to this verse that we know so well of uh, the, uh, Isaiah saying to Ahaz, look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall uh, name him Emmanuel. So a little bit of history, but let's discover through that what was the background to that verse. So Ahaz is king of Judah at this time. Ahaz is not a believer in God. In fact, he's quite an evil king and he combines the worship of golden calves, high places, worship of Baal, worship of Moloch. He combines all those together. At this time, Assyria is up in the north and is beginning to emerge as some superpower. And so the surrounding nations are beginning to be in great fear of this huge nation which is beginning to arise. We can kind of... hmm, Say the same thing, can't we? With a nation that's not too far away from us that's beginning to arise as a superpower as well and beginning to claim some areas, or not claim, but move into the Pacific maybe. Anyway, so the smaller kingdoms, right, are beginning to fear now of what may emerge as Assyria now is becoming this superpower. They soon realise the two kingdoms of Aram, which is also Syria as well, and Israel, which is also given the name Ephraim. So it's a little bit confusing, but there's just two, these two nations. They realise, right, they're not going to stand up against Assyria unless they combine forces. These nations, which in and of themselves are previously against each other, are now saying, we need to combine, right, because Assyria is growing in power. The Judean army at the time was particularly strong because King Uzziah and King Jotham had built up the Judean army. So both Syria and Israel looking at little Judah saying, right, we need you as well, right? Let's the three of us all join together and then we will be able to stand against the forces of Assyria. But King Ahaz, who's the king of Judah, said no. I'm not joining with you too. So now Syria and Israel thinking to themselves, well, what can we do now? Ah, this is what we'll do. We'll take out King Ahaz. And in fact, we'll take out the whole house of David and we'll take over Judah. And then, right, we'll have the control and we'll put in another house instead of the house of David, a house that's more aligned with us the house of Tabeel. Now, don't ever call a child or a grandchild Tabeel because the name means good for nothing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that was their plan, right? We're not only going to take out King Ahaz, we're going to take out the whole house of David. But, of course, what they neglect is what the Lord had given to David, the promise and prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. That was God's, God's declaration to David and they just ignored that totally. Try as they might, they would never destroy the house of David because God had declared that will not happen. 
So now we have three countries. We have Ahaz, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Aram, also Assyria, and Pekah, who's the king of Israel, also known as Ephraim. Well, these two decide that they'll attack Judah. So the initial attack on Judah from Pekah, king of Israel, he was not able to defeat the Judean army. The Arameans, they went down the south to a place called Eliot, and there they were able to take just the southern port of Judah. Of Judah. So now we have two armies that are marching towards Jerusalem. Well, you think Ahaz is troubled? He begins to shake, he begins to tremble. In fact, I love how scripture says that he begins to tremble like a tree in the forest when the wind comes. A beautiful description. In fact, all the people of Judah, all the people of the house of David, they begin to tremble as well as they fear an attack is coming close. Of course, we know they should have trusted in the Lord. The Lord had promised the house of David will continue on. If they'd kept their trust in the Lord, there would have been no need to fear. Any attempt to eliminate the house of David would never come to fruition because God had declared it not to be so. In that background of all of that, God speaks to Isaiah. And I want you to keep hold of two things. The Lord says to Isaiah, you are to take your son. Now we know his name is Sheer Jashub. You are to take your son with you and you are to go to a particular place, right? I want you to keep these two things in mind because they're going to come up again. The son and the place. And the particular place is this, the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. The fuller's field was a place where they washed fabrics and they laid them out to dry. So now... Now King Ahaz is getting himself prepared, fearing of this second attack, right, that's going to come upon Jerusalem, when Isaiah and his son, Sheer Jashub, turn up. And Isaiah tells King Ahaz four things. First of all, be on your guard and do not do anything that would estrange you from God. Number two, have a quiet confidence in the Lord. Do not fear and do not be faint-hearted. But the problem is this. King Ahaz is not a believer in Yahweh, has his own strategy and his own plan. He was not going to form some alliance with Aram and Israel. No, he's discounted that. But he is going to form an alliance and guess with whom? Assyria, the superpower. That's who he's going to join forces with. And Isaiah says to him, do not pursue this alliance because he says the two kings of Aram and Israel are like two smouldering stumps of firebrands. I'm sure you, like me, you've sat around a fire sometime and you've put the stick in the fire 
you know, especially as little kids and, you, you know, you want to see it burn and then you lift it up and there's a little bit of flame at the top and then the flame goes out and it only has a little bit of smoke and then you put the stick back in the fire again. Well, that's what God says is going to happen, these two nations. He said, it's like you're lifting the stick up. The fire's gone out, right? There's just a little bit of smoke. That's all they are and that's all they'll ever be. Ahaz, they'll never do any damage to Jerusalem. They'll never succeed. They're like two little bits of uh, fire at the end of the stick and all it is is smoke at the moment. Verse 8, the Lord had already judged Rezan king of Aram and said that all that he would amount to would that was that he would become king of Damascus. He'd never rule over Jerusalem. And then in verse 8, Again, another prophecy, within 65 years, Israel as a people would no longer exist. Now, did that come true? This prophecy is 735 BC. We know that in 722 BC, which is just 13 years later, Assyria did come down and make Judah a vassal. But what happened in 670 BC? That's the 65-year period in 670 BC. The Assyrians moved into Israel. They took some Israelites out and put them back into Assyria and they moved some Assyrians in and they put them into Israel. Exactly as the Lord had said 65 years later. Well, what of Pekah, king of Israel? Same thing said of him. He'll only be king of the northern tribes. He'll never, he'll never be king of head of, Jeru- of Jerusalem. Ahaz, whether you believe it or not, Isaiah is saying, right? This is what the Lord is going to do. Verse nine. Isaiah's words can be expressed this way. If in God you do not confide, then in power you will not abide. If in God you do not believe, neither blessing will you receive. Ahaz, if you trust in God, the sight of Pekah and Rezin will be removed from you. But if you look at Pekah and Rezin, all that you will see is Assyria coming toward you. Now, this is the bit that I find really interesting. What would it take for King Ahaz to put his faith in Yahweh? What would it take? What would it take for King Ahaz to believe that what Isaiah was telling him was all about to come true? And the key thing that we need to perhaps remember in these following verses is that there is a difference that we don't find so much in the English, but certainly there in the Hebrew, of the word you, Y-O-U. Now, in English, right, I can say you, and I could be speaking to one person, or I could say you, and I could be speaking to everyone, everyone here this morning. You know, people who come from Texas, they go, y'all, y'all, y'all. Make the difference, but... For us, right, whether it's one person, whether it's a group of people, there's no distinction. But in the Hebrew, there is. 
in the Hebrew, there's a difference of whether you're speaking just to one person or whether you're speaking to a group of people. Verse 10 and 11. This is amazing, right? We don't read uh, of this happening again in Scripture. A command, not even an option, a command is given to Ahaz by Isaiah. Ask of God for a sign. Anything. Anything at all. A sign in the heavens. Perhaps to make the sun stop for 24 hours. Perhaps a sign on the earth. Waters to part. Right? Whatever. King Ahaz, you ask God of any sign at all. And he will do it to give you confidence and faith that what he says will come true. What if God had said that to you and me? Can you imagine that? Imagine the Lord saying to you and me, Neil, ask any sign, anything at all, a sign in the heavens or a sign on earth to give you a surety that this will be true. Wow. You'd think that Ahaz would take it up, wouldn't you? You'd think he'd say, wow, what an opportunity, what an opportunity, but he doesn't. He says this, no, I'm not going to do it. I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now that kind of reminds us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, where the Israelites were tempted to put the Lord to the test at Massah and Moses tells them, don't do it, don't do it. But this is different. This isn't the people putting the Lord to the test. This is God saying, commanding Ahaz and say, you ask, you ask, anything at all, in the heavens or on earth, to give you faith that I am real and that what I say is true. Now, it's at this point in verse 13 we move from the singular pronoun, you, right, to Yah, Yah. Verse 13. Hear you all of the house of David. Is it a small thing for you all to weary men that you all will weary my God also? Isaiah's words of prophecy now move from just addressing Ahaz to addressing everybody of the house of David, everybody. And since Ahaz has, has, has refused, refused the command from God to ask of any sign at all, God says, I'm going to give a miracle anyway. I'm going to give a sign anyway. But not just to you, Ahaz, I'm going to give a sign to all the people of Judah. And this is the bit that I found fascinating, verse 14. This is the sign that the house of David will continue on, that it will not be taken over by the Israelites or by the Syrians or by the, Assyri or by the Assyrians. This is the sign, verse 14. Look, the young virgin shall conceive and, give, and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, a verse that we know every Christmas. That's the sign. That's the miracle that God is going to do. Now, there's been much discussion about this verse. Does it talk about someone who's living during Ahaz's day? Ahaz's day? Is it talking about someone in the future? Is it referring to both? Is it referring to just a young woman or specifically a virgin? 
Well, let's nail it down. Isaiah. Isaiah uses the future tense, right? This shall occur. So it's not somebody living now. This is going to happen in the future. A miracle is going to occur. A young woman who was not a virgin conceiving and giving birth would not be a miracle. It happens all the time. Young women conceive and give birth. That's not a miracle at all. God's saying, right, after Ahaz has refused a sign, God's saying, I'm going to give a miracle anyway. And the Hebrew here includes the definite article, the, the virgin. God has specifically chosen one woman who's going to conceive and she's going to give birth to a son. And the word, the Hebrew word in chapter 7, verse 14, is the word Alma, which translates as young virgin. Never used for someone who is old, never used for a married woman, always used for a woman of marriageable age, always used emphasising the person's youth and that the person is a virgin. Of the seven passages where this word is used in the Hebrew Bible, the context always allows for the young woman to be a virgin, never married. So, God's going to perform this miracle to give assurance to the house of David, you're under no threat, you're no threat at all. This is going to happen. Now, for God to bring about an an illegitimate birth of course would go against his own moral character for a young woman to conceive in the future in a child in her virginity of a child in her virginity this must be supernatural this must be a miracle and this was the miracle that God's declaring to the house of David until this woman gives birth You shall always stand, the house of David. They had nothing to fear. And then Isaiah goes on and he says, but I can also give you the name, the name of this young boy, the son who will be born, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, you may be thinking, as I was thinking, but what about King Ahaz, right? We know that this prophecy wasn't fulfilled for 700 years. How does any of this have any play to Ahaz? He's in a situation where he's just denied the miracle that he could have asked from God and he has the threat of the people. What's the word now that God has for him? Now the you, the pronoun, changes from the plural all of you, to you, Ahaz, you. Verse 15. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. Now Isaiah speaks directly into Ahaz. And again, he uses the definite article, the, the, the child, a specific child. Who is with Isaiah? His son. His son is standing right there. This is the specific child. 
one who's been mentioned in this context. The young boy, Isaiah's own son, Sheer Jashub. This will occur when the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. What's Isaiah saying? King Ahaz, when my son grows up to an age when he is able to make moral choices between what is good and what is bad, when he is that age, both Pika and Rezin, whom you are trembling like a tree in the wind, their thrones will have been taken away from them. Ahaz, you've refused to believe in God's promise. So I'm telling you now, this is what's going to occur. If you'd believed in God, your enemies would have just gone, left the scene and Judah would be freed of any threat. But because you have not believed in God, your kingdom now will fall under the Assyrians. The land will be devastated. Of course, the people will still remain the house of David as God had declared. But suffering is coming to you. And then here's the interesting thing. Remember I told you to keep in mind the son, we've looked at him, and the place. 20 years later from this prophecy, King Ahaz has already died and his son, King Hezekiah, is now king of Judah. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, has come into Judah and he meets King Hezekiah, the son of King Ahaz. And where does he meet him? Isaiah 36, verse 1 and 2. The end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Exactly the place where Isaiah had given the prophecy to Hezekiah's father, Ahaz. Well, I hope that's enlightened you about that verse that we know at Christmas time. What can we take away from all of this? There are crisis moments in all of our lives, I would say, when something comes to us and we have the choice, don't we? Am I going to deepen my faith in God? Am I going to trust God even more? Or am I going to operate on just human terms and try to resolve this myself? This passage would say to us, keep your faith in God. Trust him in those crisis moments health moments, family issues, financial matters. Trust him, trust him, trust him and see what he will do. The second thing I take out of the passage is this. God has given us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. In those moments, you are never alone. God is right there, right there. He is your Emmanuel. And thirdly, of course, we know this, don't we? We are not to walk by sight, but we're to walk by faith, by faith. Lord, this might be a difficult time. This might be trying to shatter my faith, the foundations of my faith. On Christ the solid rock I stand, but I trust you. I trust you. I put my faith in you. Have you done that? 
Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, so interesting to see the background of this verse, Lord, and to know with the assurance that we have Emmanuel. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, God with us, not only with us, but by your Holy Spirit in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Oh, Lord, if there's anyone, anyone here this morning who is going through a bit of a crisis situation, Lord, some challenge in their life, more than that they can handle of themselves, Lord, may their faith deepen in you through this. May their faith even grow stronger. Oh, Lord, you are such a good God and no power will ever overcome you. We give you our praise and thanks this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Living hope, the Lord with us. He's our deliverer, our ever-present help in time of need for all of us, in fact, every single one of us here this morning. And uh, so let's stand and let's claim him. Let's ask him uh, to come and do that. To come and be the one that uh, we call upon. between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my living Lord who could imagine so great a
thank you, Father, that uh, wherever we are today, however old we are, Lord, whatever might be in store for us tomorrow, you are alive and you will live forevermore. Nothing will move you. You are unshakable. And so tomorrow our life will be and the day after our life will be for you will be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I pray that you may have you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.